with the lemon and soon it's you like smooth and soon you will crave the <clears throat> vampire mousse. <laughs> hey so so i was at the gig or whatever right yeah so you know so it's a point system right how it works is nine points before they could taste disciplinary action or some shit sure. you know what i mean so I'm like, all right. So I get this email, my work email, talking about so. Oh, you got eight point five hours of uh, eight point five points. I'm like, damn, eight point five points. I just got here, bro. Like, how the hell? I'm like, dude, if you want to say that it's three, yeah, it's a it's a solid three. I give you a solid three, bro. Yeah, but not eight point five. Yeah, yeah, bro. That's dude. That's a fart away from being uh terminated. Exactly on the spot crazy shit no recompense but i ended up getting it an old though but it still put me on fire though you got it down to zero yeah what did they say your problems were the problems was uh what were your infractions uh, covid related shit oh so shit that they already said was fine well seeing the thing in it in the beginning um before i before i started i got it so i had to call them to tell them that i can't start training so they gave me points for that shit I don't know, man. This is a bunch of bullshit. They then just you, being late. They give you a bunch of points for that, too. Because weren't you gone for a whole week? Yeah. They gave me like 3.5 of them motherfuckers. Work is the worst, and I it hate is, it. bro. I've had enough. No, I have too, bro. Like, that working shit is for the birds. It's for idiots. <laughs> I mean, look. It's an honest living, though, bro. I oh, get no, it. I don't want it. You know, you get you ever get that pain before just get nicked and it hurts. Oh, that's the worst. It is. Like, what's up with that? Yesterday, well, I put my car in park because my e-brake finally gave up on me, right? Uh... So I can't do the old trick of leaving it in neutral and just jamming the e-brake on anymore. Mm-hmm. That's that's out of the picture because the e-brake goes straight to the floor, no longer engages. Okay. So I got to put it in park, and that means I got to break out the little screwdriver and get in there every time I want to move. And as I was trying to figure that out, mm. I was like in the passenger seat trying to stab it so I could get it moving. I barked my ankle against the seat track, like the metal seat Oof. track, and I still haven't even looked at it. Like I don't yeah. know if it's bleeding. It's the, I don't it's know. About whatever. Like, and it was the track exposed, like you could get locked jaw possibly. <laughs> Absolutely. Metal track. I was like, I don't care. Oh man. I'm not looking. You better dump some alcohol on that shit. Yeah. I just I just ran the washcloth over it mm-hmm. in the shower. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. I just didn't want to see it. Herschel? Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the, the Bumblebutt Bumble Podcast, Podcast X. X, X, X. Today, ladies and gentlemen, well, yeah. I'm not going to say who we're talking about. <laughs> I don't know why, but my name's Adam. Mm-hmm. A-bomb. That's Herschel. H-bomb. And with our powers combined... Mm-hmm. What does he say? We're Captain Planet. We're yeah. the Planeteers. Yeah, I would say Planeteers. You want to be uh, socially sensitive about saying that, so Planeteers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, introductions out of the way, Herschel. <laughs> yes, sir. You know what this show's about. It's oh, about of course. nonsense, blonsense, mm-hmm. and nonsense. Mm-hmm. But it has a good story. Oh, hopefully, hopefully. And today is going to be a good one. Mm-hmm. All right. So the person's name is going to be in the title, but who's really looking at the title when they're listening to podcasts? They're just, mm-hmm. just listening just, to it. Yep, just cramming that shit on in. So in I'm just background. not even going to say it until it comes up naturally. All right, cool. 
At just past 2 a.m. on January 26, mm -hmm. 2009, 16-year-old Carissa Lofton called 911 to report that both she and her 45-year-old mother, Karen Lofton, had been shot inside their home. Damn! On the 10800 block of Southall Drive in Largo, Maryland. Mm. A quiet suburb 16 miles to the east of Washington, D.C. Mm. Carissa told the dispatcher they needed immediate assistance, all in a whispered voice, as if scared the killer was still in the house. It took just five minutes for officers to respond. They found no signs of forced entry into the two-story home. Going around the outside, one of the cops found a window that was closed but unlocked, and he slipped in and unlocked the front door for the rest of the police. But the popos, who was that that looked at the back window? The popos? Yep, they were okay, like so, circling the house. Okay, so he wanted the wanted the law, mm -hmm. got in the crib and unlocked. Okay, yeah. I get he it. He was My like bad. going around checking the windows, and yeah. he found one of them was went right. I wonder up. was he scared with himself, but he went in there probably. You have to be right. Hell yeah, two thousand nine, dude. This is a recent. Yeah, this is probably dude. the most recent one we've done. Yeah, bro. Yeah, this is gonna be some crazy shit with phones. Ooh. Oh, yeah, there's phones in this. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Androids. Androids. iPhone, like, two, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. iPhone, absolutely. iPhone 1 came out in 06, I think. Oh, so. yeah, for sure. Maybe. Certainly the Palm. Uh, the Blackberries. Oh, Blackberries. Were Ooh, huge, yeah. yeah. Yep, that was definitely probably the premier phone. Unfortunately, first responders mm. were too late. The house was clear except for the dead bodies of Carissa and her mother Karen Lofton. The assailant or assailants were gone without a trace. According to Prince George County's acting chief of police, Roberto Hilton, there was nothing missing from the house, which all but ruled out robbery as the motive for this invasion. Mm. When they say nothing missing from the house, how do they know that? Nothing obvious, right? Okay. So there was belongings that okay. had high value, value that were still around. And that's how they do that. And nothing was tossed. Because you could steal some panties, too. Certainly. Why would they want to do that? I don't know, but... There's freaks we, around. Yeah, we heard worse. Well, we've heard worse. Yeah. Homicide detectives arrived shortly after the initial patrolman and took in the scene. They found the mother, Karen, crouched in the corner of her bedroom in a defensive stance. Mm. They believe she died where she lay. Her corpse had not been moved or staged. Hmm. As for Carissa, they thought the same. She was shot and subsequently died in her bed under the covers. So they probably shot her there. She mm -hmm. called the police from there. Mm -hmm. Died before they arrived. Yeah, she's probably scared and shit. I have to imagine. Yeah, because the while she's under the cover. At least you're in a comfortable place, maybe. But that's the most terrifying thing. Mm -hmm. According to the Lofton security system, it was active and functioning that night, but had been deactivated within minutes of the invasion. Damn. The operating theories as of now were. The killer or killers forced Carissa or Karen to punch in the code, or the killer or killers had snuck in through an unmonitored window. Mm. Later, police would conclude that whoever entered the Lofton home neutralized the alarm beforehand, but no one knew how that would have been possible. Mm, definitely had to be somebody they know or watching them motherfuckers. That's a prescient point. You mm. and the Lofton police are going to... Nope, the Lofton, that's the last name of the people. <laughs> the you and the Largo police are mm -hmm. going to agree on that one. Mm -hmm. Hold on one tick of the old lamb's tail. Yeah, gotcha, my bad. Police would also reveal that the suspect may have fled out a window facing the backyard after the murders. If that was the exit, it stands to reason it could have also been the entrance. 
investigators were putting together a time frame for the victim's final day. On Sunday, January 25, 2009, school nurse Karen and daughter Carissa had gone to church at 9 a.m. Mm. Carissa later went to her shift at the Golden Corral in the Capitol Center. Mm. That's bogus. Yeah, that sucks. You worked mm. on your last day and mm. you're a high school student? At the Golden Corral. But I think it was just for extra money. This was a pretty affluent community. It's not mm-hmm. like it was... Uh, these people weren't like vagabonds. They weren't poor. They yeah. weren't like us, broke-ass jokes. Yeah, they were just working just for extra shit, like That's trinkets. It. That's it. Probably to avoid <clears throat> upcoming car insurance, as she was 16, you know. Hmm. Carissa was last seen alive leaving the restaurant at 9 p.m. Hmm. Detectives were finding it hard to determine how Carissa got home from work, as Karen usually picked her up. Things were so unclear, but detectives needed to pick a direction and start finding shit out. They chose the track that whoever killed Karen and Carissa had to have known them. Mm-hmm. Karen's ex-husband was quickly ruled out, and other friends and relatives were picked off one by one. Whoops. New direction. Maybe it was someone that lived in the neighborhood. No leads would develop to support that theory, however. The neighborhood was mostly well-kept family homes with manicured lawns. Mm. Acting Chief Hilton tried getting out in front of this news cycle by saying, This is an isolated incident, not a serial killer. We're pulling out all the stops and doing everything forensically we can. Why would you even say that? I mean, I know why would you say that, but it's like... Hilton had reason to say this. Hysteria was a real possibility here, you see. Twelve days earlier, and about five miles away, another double murder had been committed in a gated community of multi-million dollar homes near the Upper Marlboro area. Mm, My bad. Definitely, you know, once it started my trap card. Once it started that uh, that money started roll, you know, say the big bucks. Then they want to start. Oh wait, this might be it. But we go tell them it's not. But they know what it is. They know what it is. Mm Mm-hmm. I wonder how far was these million-dollar homes from where they were. Hey, but just like Ed Woodbury, because you, know, you got little houses that's decent, and then you got some ones that's like, whoa. I'm five. We're five miles away from Woodbury right here, you know? Yeah. We're five miles away from gated yeah, community. True. Gated communities. Eunice Bach, 36, and Seth Idu, 40, mm-hmm. had been killed in their home. Idu was stabbed to death, and Bach was shot in the head. According to Hilton, there was no way the slangs of the Loftons could be connected to those of I Do and Bach. As time passed and the Lofton case grew ice cold, investigators were forced to admit that the killer was likely someone the mother and daughter didn't know and had never met. This made the case both ten times more chilling and ten times harder to solve. Definitely, bro. It's, it, it is. I, I would agree killings. with Yeah, I yeah. would agree with that. Like. It's then if you do put it together, this dude is a killer. Then it's a chance that he may not have known. And it's like, so there's no motive. It's yeah. just a random person. That's insane. That nobody wants that. They want there no. to be, even if it's disgusting, they want the killer to have a reason. You know, mm-hmm. like they broke up with me. My heart was broken. Mm-hmm. I had to kill her. But just like kicking in someone's door and killing, mm-hmm. killing icing two people for no reason, that's fucked. Well, I'm trying to think of a movie that that happened to. About two months later, on March 16th, 2009, mm-hmm. at 4 a.m., a stolen Nissan Maxima was started right up on fire in the driveway of a vacant house on the 11,000 block of Webwood Court in Largo. The car was stolen from a house only a few blocks away earlier that evening. 
and the cops were actively looking for it when it was set ablaze. Mm. Firefighters responding to the scene extinguished the flames quickly, but by the time they arrived, the Maxima was burned up pretty thoroughly, so much so that the driveway underneath was starting to scar and melt. Mm. Much of the interior was nothing but ash, and still firefighters scoured through it, looking to see which accelerant was used to start mm -hmm. the flame. Unfortunately, they found something worse. A charred human body lying in the back seat, and another one burned up even worse in the Damn. trunk. That's fucked up. I wonder, did they, I wonder did they burn alive. Jeez, I wonder if I'll get into that at all. Now realizing this was more than an act of arson, the crew secured the scene and waited for their brothers in the Prince George's County Police Department to take over. Mm. When homicide got on scene, the smell of gas was still strong on the air. Both bodies had been burned beyond recognition. Detectives couldn't even determine gender of the victims from here. This was all taking place within roughly the same area as the loft and double homicide, and the residents were growing rightly concerned, <laughs> needing information and demanding answers. Dude, you're going to have to start riding around with your pistol. Seriously. Don't leave your house. Without it. Yep. Especially because who knows what will happen when you get back Bro. to your house. And then they'll just have your pistol. Bro. You can't leave home without that motherfucker. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I'm not. That is not the views of Bumblebutt Podcast because that's a huge Second Amendment blah 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 stupid issue. Mm -hmm. But in this specific instance, if you own a gun, maybe don't leave it at home. Mm -hmm. It could be used to kill you. And everybody can't um, carry it either. So you have to keep that bitch in your trunk, bullet somewhere else, or mm. whatever, whatever the state laws may be. Mm. That sounds like a bad idea. Well, keeping the bullets in the trunk. Unless you be on some Terminator shit, hold the steering wheel while I pop the truck. And <laughs> unless you got one of those seat backs, the way you can just pull your seat back and it's just right there on the seat, like ah, give me that. You got a duct tape there. Ooh, but it, it went to the back. It slid to the back. <laughs> well, that was Kima, right? Mm. Now, Chief Hilton was having a much tougher time spinning this as not a serial killer because of the close proximity and the chief was eventually forced to reassess, saying, Oh, this is a very strange case. Unusual for this community. Very bizarre. <laughs> Thanks, chief. That's, that's all he said? Pretty much. Mm -hmm. He said his department hadn't seen this level of violence in living memory. On top of the four homicides in a two-month period, the community had experienced a gigantic uptick in property crimes and burglaries in recent months. Hilton assigned additional manpower and overtime to the case and upgraded it to being worked in three shifts around the clock until some headway could finally be made. Of course, they want to find this killer quick. Get it wrapped up? Mm-hmm. Get it wrapped up and wrapped out. Mm-hmm. Butcher paper. Put a string on it. Freddie Colvin was awakened the night of the Maxima fire by a loud popping noise. He said, mm. I just heard booms like thunder from far off. Then me and mom just came to the window and saw lots of police cars. Another witness named Jerome Jones said his wife heard gunshots. Jones said by the time he saw the Maxima, it was already all burned up. Yeah. Concurrently, Hilton addressed the media, telling them the bodies found in the Maxima were possibly the bodies of another mother and daughter who'd been reported missing only a few hours earlier. Mm. Detectives were looking at all possibilities and checking against two missing persons report. The bodies could have also been two teen girls who'd gone missing from Anne Arundel County earlier that month. Mm -hmm. Obviously to all of us now, 
and even them then, positive IDs were needed on the burned corpses before anything else could be done. As it so turned out, 17-year-old Courtney Hicks had arrived at the Largo Metro Station a few hours earlier on Sunday, March 15, 2009, just after 10 p.m. She'd spent the weekend with some friends. Mm -hmm. Pretty common thing to do. Take the train out to some friends, come back over the weekend. Yeah, I've done that before. Oh, especially in a place that had trains. The L train, right? Yeah, I've done it. She texted her mom, 42-year-old Dolores DeWitt, she was a nurse, asking for a ride home from the station, but got no response. Instead of waiting around a train station at night, which nobody would ever want to do, Courtney decided to just hoof it instead. Mm -mm. At home... She found neither her mother nor her sister, 19-year-old Ebony DeWitt, despite all appearances that they should be there. The lights were on, Dolores' car was in the driveway, Hmm. and Ebony's jacket was by the door. Yeah, strange. It was March. On the East Coast, it was still cold enough to need a jacket. Especially, you can tell what... Her name's Ebony, so you have to imagine. You can tell when your house look occupied, it's your TV's on. Black people get cold, they're gonna wear their jacket in March. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. Hell, I've hell, been around you long enough. Hell, black people get cold. They go wear their jackets now. In August, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the morning. In the morning, they do get cold sometimes. It's true. Yeah. Courtney called out for both of them and swept the house. Mm. She went outside and repeatedly called their cell phones. Then she pounded on neighbors' doors, but mm. no one had seen them. This was all too overwhelming, so Courtney called the police. They later found a witness, Ebony's boyfriend, who said he'd dropped Ebony off about 1.30 a.m., 24 hours before the disappearance. Hmm. He was the last to see either of the women and was not named as a suspect. Yet. Late the following day, Tuesday, Mm -hmm. March 17, 2009, the bodies found burned in the Maxima were ID'd as Dolores and Ebony DeWitt. Mm. Everyone knew they were dealing with a serial mother and daughter killer. Two cases of it just didn't happen within two months in no. Prince George's County. Mm-mm. It doesn't. Of course, just because everybody knew something didn't mean the police were ready to officially announce the linking of the DeWitt and Lofton cases. Mm-hmm. Keen-eyed onlookers could certainly recognize the similarities. Both of the mothers were nurses. Both had teen daughters. The Loftons and DeWitts lived less than a mile from each other. Mm-hmm. And each of the killings happened in the early morning hours on Mondays. I would say it's either a school teacher or some somebody of that magnitude or some shit to know shit. Because, like, school teachers know a little bit more about, like, who's dealing struggles and shit in the household, who has yeah. a father in the household. Sure. Personally. Like, yeah. You know all the struggles. Yeah. That's a good theory. I mm-hmm. like that. All Chief Hilton was willing to offer up was... There are very strong circumstantial links between the Loftons and DeWitts, but we don't have anything definitive at this point. One of the neighbors, Kay Walker, told Fox News that the DeWitts had been burglarized just last Christmas 2008, saying, They bought a Nintendo Wii, a brand new flat screen, and one other electronic item. About a week later, all of them were stolen. Someone broke through a window and stole only those things. After a little more digging, it was discovered that a very rare, very high 40 burglaries had been reported since October 2008 just in Largo. Mm. There was some kind of serial robber stalking this whole place, possibly learning the routes and habits of people along the way. Cops didn't immediately say how Dolores and Ebony were killed, 
but the neighborhood assumed they'd been shot based on Karen and Carissa. Police did immediately issue a warning to the neighborhood, saying if their houses were broken into, call 911, even if you only think it was broken into. Do not enter your home without police checking it first. Mm. The DeWitt house was being ripped apart inch by inch for clues, and the Lofton home was about to be reinvestigated. In the meantime, cops were learning about a whole bunch of things that happened simultaneously in the neighborhood on the morning of the Maxima fire. Just before the car was discovered, another neighborhood resident named Sybil Felton called 911 to report her vehicle stolen at 3.39 a.m. on Sunday, March 15th. She told the dispatcher that her and her boyfriend were flying to Europe that day, and she had a last-minute errand to run at 2 in the morning. When she returned, less than two hours later, the car was gone. Hmm, that was pretty fast. Suddenly, while on the phone with the dispatcher, Sybil let out a loud scream, and then the line went dead. The dispatcher called back, worried. Sybil picked up and apologized. She was fine, but she'd just seen her Maxima speed past the front window, but couldn't recognize the driver or passengers. Hell no. That bitch is speeding past. Within minutes of Sybil finishing her report to the dispatcher, the call reporting her burning car in the driveway of the vacant home came in. As investigators tried keeping all this information coming in straight despite its breakneck pace, It was also pulled up that Sybil's home had been burglarized on February 28, 2009, and the spare key to her Maxima had been the only thing stolen. Hmm. Cops were very confused at the time. Now it all made sense. Mm -hmm. This was step one in a multi-stage plot. This was becoming a real fuck of a case, but Prince George's County's finest detectives were ready to unravel all the details and determine the truth of that night. The finest of the finest. That's right. Step one. Where were Dolores and Ebony when Courtney got home at 10 p.m.? For four hours until 2 a.m., which is the earliest possible time Sybil's car could have been. Mm. Where were they from 10 to 2? Where the fuck were they? They knew the mother and daughter couldn't have driven anywhere as their car was still safely tucked in the driveway. Nope. They'd been abducted. And the suspect or suspects had used another car until it was time to steal Sybil's. Police were puzzled by how the carjacker was able to drive back past the Jackie's home, park it in front of a vacant home, set the car ablaze using an accelerant, and escape the crime scene on a dead-end street without being seen by anyone. And all in under 10 minutes. Like OJ. Like gone in 60 seconds. (laughs) How is it like OJ? (laughs) Well, I remember in the the Netflix um, show, they, they, they said he had time to go back to his crib and clean up. Yeah, he got McDonald's like with Cato. Yeah. They ate it in the drive-thru, like, alibi building. No, nah, but what I'm trying to say, they said that he had enough time in that movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's He he runs this in the woo-woo-woo. It, they was talking about his 40-yard. Like, that's bogus. Like, dude, first of all, you can't... 40-yard is straight line, bro. If you got fences, dogs, bushes, like, bro... You, just not, you can't account for that. Marsha bobbled that case. That's for certain. Mm. Your girl, Marsha Clark. Within days, detectives mm. turned to the public, putting up a $25,000 reward as an incentive to get stubborn witnesses to come forward. And that was just for the DeWitts. A similar one was offered for information on the Loftons. Sadly, there were no takers. So investigators decided to re-canvas all of the 40-plus burglaries that had occurred in the neighborhood in an attempt to find any clues leading to a suspect for these murders. Mm -hmm. 
On Thursday, March 19, 2009, Chief Hilton told reporters to be on the lookout for Dolores and Ebony's purses, both of which were stolen from the home. One was a multicolored fossil purse, and the other was a black patent leather with a Cadillac logo on it. Without going into how the DeWitts had been murdered, Hilton told the media there was a distinct difference between how the Lofton and DeWitts had died. Mm-hmm. Loftons, of course, had been shot, but the DeWitts, they were keeping secret in case they got a suspect. Yeah. Something only the murderer and the police would know. Which why, which is probably why uh, the motherfucker you said, the chief, I think, was talking? Hilton, yeah. Yeah, he probably, he was definitely Very unusual. Saying much. Very yeah. bizarre. Very yeah. strange. And Hilton, he's the acting chief, so mm-hmm. I can imagine that somebody stepped down or retired. Mm-hmm. Ooh, and he, that's his first. Ooh, that's got to suck. Hell yes. Right in the office, you got to eat some shit. Welcome. Ooh, yeah. For real. Now, Hilton had completely downplayed the possibility of a serial killer behind these mother-daughter slangs. But in a community meeting, one Lieutenant William Rail, commander of the Homicide Criminal Investigative Division, told residents they were following about 30 active leads and had not ruled out a serial killer in the county. He urged the neighborhood to pay extra close attention to their spare house and car keys on top of keeping their doors and windows sealed up and locked tight. He closed his speech, urging them for their help, saying, The smallest detail could break this case wide open. Somebody in the community saw something. Someone walking down the street. A dog barking when it shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Anything could assist. We're running down everything we have. Someone somewhere knows something, and they need to call me. After the DeWitt killings, Prince George's County homicide was now solely focused on this case, as were the efforts of several top investigators from other divisions and even other departments. Mm -hmm. They went door-to-door in the neighborhood and asked for voluntary DNA samples from anyone that would give them. In addition, over 200 pieces of evidence were collected, and the FBI was asked to put together a profile on the killer. Damn, motherfucker, voluntary. I wonder how many people refused. I think I would. Yeah, me too. Well, I know I would because what? Because we don't know what else that they're gonna do with that shit. Just don't want to give it up. Yeah, like it's gonna be in a de- database. I don't want. I don't want to incriminate myself. It's motherfuckers that only want to give you their ID to get a pack of smokes. Mm-hmm. So, can I see your ID? Never mind. I'll just go down the street and keep hopping gas stations until they give you. A- but they'll gladly hand over their credit card to a fourteen-year-old gas station attendant mm. you know what i mean that's the funny hypocrisy mm. that's my kind of stuff you don't need hey. to see my id you can track me like, what do you think your credit card is it has more information than your id probably get one of those little fake card readers and shit oh the skimmers yeah i hope i ain't got cracked by one of them don't you feel them give them a tug yeah sometimes not all the time though i'm not gonna lie the profiler told detectives that despite similarities between the Lofton and DeWitt cases, this was not the work of a serial killer. He went a step further and said these cases weren't even connected. Any similarities were just weird coincidence. Hmm. This didn't sit right with detectives, who took the info and said, uh, we won't rule anything out, despite what they'd just learned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because people don't need to be put at ease. And, no, and they all thought that that was probably wrong. Mm, this is just an idiot fbi profiler saying some whack shit Mm. you want everybody to still be on protective though detective nelson was installed as lead detective for the lofton case and detective shartner took over the dewitt case poor guy Mm -hmm. shartner 
The two worked very closely on their respective investigations and shared notes about everything they uncovered, even if developments would take them in radically different directions in pursuit of a suspect. Mm-hmm. And that name was definitely the era where he probably got talked about. Yeah, Detective yeah. Shortner. Yeah, yeah, he probably got talked about. You got it, Shortner. He probably heard that a lot. Don't bend over, you <laughs> might shortner yourself. Remember how I said police were playing cause of death for the DeWitts close to the vest? I do remember that. Well, it leaked on AOL News that Ebony and Dolores were asphyxiated before their bodies were torched in Sybil's Maxima. Hmm. So, not shot like the Loftons. Detective Shortner finally confirmed it to the Washington Post, so it didn't have to just be AOL rumor. They were killed elsewhere before their bodies were moved to the Nissan in plain view. Shortner also said he believed the killers lit the car and escaped through a nearby backyard before busting through a fence and into the woods, which was supported by a canine following the scent trail down that very route. Hmm. And so did they notice like a gate was fucked up? Yep. They noticed hmm. the gate was askew. No, on the real. He and put the dog out, was like going and kept wanting to and go. Somebody that way. probably put out that little Yeah, man, my gate is fucked up. Mm-hmm. Could this be yeah, that could like mm. he because he did say one little thing could break this shit wide mm-hmm. open, and that's the that was the one little thing, maybe. And luckily, it was like the night of that they mm-hmm. were able to figure that little cl- nugget yeah, out because motherfucker easily could have forgot mm. and fixed it and everything went right down to true value. But where were Dolores and Ebony killed, and where were they placed in the Maxima? Detectives needed a break, but it turns out all they had to do was sniff. The suspect was right under their noses. According to Special Agent Claire Weber, a spokeswoman for the Baltimore Field Division of the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, Mm -hmm. J.C. Arms, a gun shop in Woodbine, Maryland, had been robbed of guns and other items in May 2009. ATF's investigation of the gun theft had led them, with an informer, to Jason Thomas Scott a 27-year-old part-time worker for the UPS. He'd been there for nine years. ATF obtained a warrant and searched Scott's Mm -hmm. residence. Dude, you haven't confirmed that this is the killer or not, but you got the ATF on your ass, the FBI on your ass, and the police? You don't want the alphabet boys on Bro, you go get got, bro. Once multiple agencies are involved, yeah. And they're they're pretty certain about stuff. They're gonna it's get like you, bro. You're, you're, the jaws are closing, and they almost catch you in an act mm, stealing guns. Mm-hmm. Items found inside the house where Scott lived with his parents and sister during the ATF raid included computer files, a set of BMW keys, a dozen guns, a police scanner, mm. a silencer and a bulletproof vest. Mm. Some of the items allegedly had been taken during break-ins in the area where the homicides occurred. ATF agents also found what could be construed as a burglar's kit, a crowbar, Gerber tool gloves, and a ski mask. Okay, yeah, that, that definitely would classify as that. I'd call that a burglar's Just kit. Just like yeah. when you look at somebody's trunk and they got tape, rope. Like if you, <laughs> so, go, to, if you go to Party City mm-hmm. and you go to the burglar section, mm-hmm. that's the costume that you're going to find. It's hmm. like a fake crowbar, a ski mask, and uh, uh, some gloves. It's like build a, build a robber. Hmm. During one of the searches of Scott's residences, police found a flash drive that contained photos of a naked young female with a pillowcase over her head what? that they believe was connected to a June 13th, 2009 Fort Washington incident. 
mm-hmm. which a young woman and her mother returned home and found a man holding the young woman's younger sister at gunpoint, according to court records. The perp allegedly ordered the older sister into a bedroom, forced her to remove her clothes, took nude photos of her, and sexually assaulted her. Here we go. Scott was arrested in July 2009 in Mm -hmm. a UPS parking lot on the weapons charges and subsequently indicted on federal carjacking, Mm -hmm. weapons, and sex offenses. Mm -hmm. Scott was held on the federal charges and remained in custody while Prince George's County homicide detectives built their cases against him. According to AOL News, Scott of Upper Marlboro, Maryland, who lived in a suburban colonial home near the DeWitt home, was allegedly selling weapons out of the trunk of his car. He was initially charged with selling 14 stolen guns. You trying to get them bitches off. That included pistols, assault weapons, silencers, and Mm -hmm. a machine gun following an undercover operation Mm -hmm. in which an informant bought four guns from Scott for $3,000. Three of those guns allegedly came from the gun store in Woodbine, Woodbin, I don't know, W-O-O-D-B-I-N-E, that had been burglarized earlier. Yeah, I would say Woodbine. Cause Me that's too. Dude, that's dude named Bokeen Woodbine. Woodbine. Bokeen Woodbine. Yeah. Bokeen Woodbine. Um, the bald-headed guy that played. Remember the big hit? You probably don't remember the big hit. Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, you probably don't remember that. Nah, you could keep going. What else he been in? Yeah, it's uh, Jason's Lyric. I know you haven't seen that. I don't know. That's all right. Yeah, I'll you. look him up. Thank you, bro. You gonna you gonna be when you see him? You gonna be like, I know this. Funny. I know Bokeen Wood. Yeah. Scott pleaded not guilty and was scheduled to go on trial on the federal gun charges against him in November 2010. Mm. According to law enforcement sources, Scott was a brilliant criminal who had studied forensic textbooks and had changed his M.O. to throw investigators off his trail. Mm. He was allegedly so well-versed in forensic science techniques that he was able to clean up crime scenes and used his knowledge to confuse detectives and to deceive the FBI profiler into believing that the crimes were not connected. Yeah, I believe that because he he said when they showed up to that scene, them bodies was ashes. Scott reportedly holds two master's degrees, according to ABC News. Why are you using your powers for bad? He's probably a sociopath. He doesn't feel anything. That sucks, man. You need to be using that shit for good, bro. Investigators theorized that Scott led a double life, working at UPS sorting facility by day, correcting addresses on packages that were returned, and allegedly carrying out criminal activities by night. Mm. Police allege that he utilized his computer skills to research law enforcement forensic procedures to help him cover his tracks. Mm-hmm. Police also said that he may have used UPS databases to learn about his alleged victims. Damn. And investigators now believe he used bleach to clean his crime scenes and started fires to destroy evidence. Yeah. Fast, too. Because, like I said, you said when they got there that the body was ashes. He had a whole plan. Yeah. I mean, he planned out the Maxima from yeah. a whole month earlier. He broke in and stole mm-hmm. only the keys. Like, he knew they were going on vacation. He knew that mm-hmm. they were they were going to go to the store and, and they, he could take yeah. the Maxima. Mm. And they probably had an extra pair of keys. You think he knew that shit, too? Yeah. Those who worked alongside Scott at UPS were shocked at the news of the charges he was facing. Mm-hmm. His co-workers said that he was quiet and mostly kept to himself. Mm. He always came to work, said one co-worker. He was never anyone that caused problems. If you asked him to do something, he was on it. He was fast at typing. As far as employees go, he was pretty good. Now that you think about it, it's scary. 
Following the ATF search of Scott's home, Prince George's County police searched the residence again mm. and recovered evidence that allegedly connected Scott to a December 07 burglary in Mitchellville, a June 08 burglary near Kettering, and a May 2009 burglary in Bowie, as well as other crimes. Mm. I guess the forensics didn't teach him how to escape the, the burglary, though. Evidence should have taught him to throw away, not keep <laughs> anything. Yeah, what happened to all that forensic shit? Dumb. Maybe they were trophies, maybe they were things he couldn't sell. Who knows? Mm-hmm. A witness who reportedly assisted Scott with the gun sales and burglaries agreed to help investigators and mm-hmm. told them that he and Scott were also involved in a number of home invasions in 08 and 09, the ones that we know about, the 40 plus that are unusual for the region. Mm-hmm. Despite his previous statements to the contrary and the FBI profile indicating that the homicides were not the work of a serial killer, Chief Hilton now characterized Scott as a serial killer. Yeah. Finally, Mr. Hilton. By the way, that's H-Y-L-T-O-N, not the uh, brand of hotels. Mm-hmm. Thanks for clearing that up, my boy. Scott was also being investigated to determine whether he was responsible for the June 08 killing of Vilma Erdis Butler a Bowie, Maryland woman who was shot in her house and set on fire. Police are also concerned that Scott may be responsible for additional unsolved killings in Washington, D.C., Texas, and Florida locations he is known to have visited. I'll put it on them. On the surface, much of the evidence against Scott appears circumstantial, although investigators have not released information on everything they have gathered so far. Mm-hmm. Chief Hilton stated, however, that the evidence in this case is overwhelming and places Scott at the crime scene. Hilton did not specify which crime scene, but added that anthropology and botany experts from the University of Maryland helped detectives in their investigation. Scott was charged on Tuesday, July 27, 2010, with the murders of Dolores and Ebony DeWitt after a Prince George's County grand jury returned a seven-count indictment. In addition to the murder charges, Scott was also charged with two counts of burglary. If convicted, he faces two life sentences. Clearly, this was a gruesome double murder that really shocked the community, said Prince George's state's attorney. I hope that this indictment will help bring some sense of calm back to the community. Police suspect that Scott is also responsible for the deaths of Karen and Carissa Lofton, but he is yet to be charged in that case. Detectives are continuing to investigate Scott to determine if the Largo atrocities were the beginning of his killing spree or if they were the end. If it turns out to be the latter, only time will tell how many additional victims will be attributed to Scott. Mm -hmm. Following the indictment, Hilton also characterized Scott as a hardcore criminal that just preyed on this community. At this point in the investigation, police believe Scott was a stranger to the victims and there was no clear motive for the killings. Detectives are continuing their investigation, and it remains possible that additional charges could be forthcoming, but like, mm. this was a long time ago, mm. you know. Defendant Jason Scott accepted an Alfred plea for the murders of Dolores DeWitt and her daughter Ebony, and mm. was sentenced to two life sentences mm. with all but 85 years suspended. The Alfred plea acknowledges the strength of the prosecution's evidence, but is not a guilty plea. He will not likely face charges for the three other murders that he is basically known to have committed. But I guess he cleaned up the crime so good that they couldn't get him on it. And they never found the gun that committed the murder. So he got rid of that. Never found the gun that committed the Loftons, yep. So I guess in, in a sense you can't put it on him. So that's your boy. By law. That's your boy. First of all. That's your pal, Jason Thomas Scott. Listen, man. 
Don't talk about my boy. <laughs> my what boy. did you think about uh, look Maryland's finest? He could have probably actually slipped away, but oh, they yeah. but they got him on them guns. And they oh, and they sure. had to get them on something. You can't ATF. Just be yeah. Thank you, ATF, because yeah. that opened the door. Those mm-hmm. stole that stolen gun store guns that mm-hmm. opened the door for everything else. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the story? The story's always superb. You have anything uh, to wrap it up with? <sighs> Other than this guy's a scumbag, like all the rest. It, it, this one's different though. It's, I feel like it's missing something though, like more. But he really must have cleaned up them scenes, bro. Yeah, there wasn't much to time. Yeah. Could only get him on the one. Yeah. The DeWitt. Mm-hmm. Huh. This motherfucker could have escaped. And technically he did, because he only got the... Yeah. Yeah. He'll die in prison. But oh, he, yeah. Uh, they know he... Oh. I wish, and he, he ain't gonna talk about it, either. I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. A lot of these scumbags don't. Mm-hmm. He's not gonna talk about it. Well, everybody, that's gonna do it for all of us here at the Bumblebutt Podcast X. X, 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 X. My name's Ben Adam. A-bomb. That's her. H-bomb. We appreciate you sticking around. We do. And uh, we'll see you next time. We will. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Bye.